not fear the one and only Tucker Carlson. He's here, right here, right now. Buck up, it's going to get better. Hello, welcome to Tuckered Out. I'm Troy. I'm Tyler. And this is a podcast where we talk about ornament salesman Tucker Carlson. He yeah. sells ornaments now. I wish that was all he did. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, about some ornaments today. Uh, but first, how are you doing, Tyler? I'm doing all right. Things are looking good. And Tyler, do we have anybody to thank today? Yes, we do. We have one new patron this week. OK Lobster is just asking questions. Thank you very much, OK Lobster. Yeah, I wish I was OK Lobster. <laughs> Tyler, this was a week on Tucker's show. So th- this week was kind of weird. And I am not going to make any predictions because that is a surefire way to be humiliated. Um, <laughs> but I I do have a feeling that something is coming down the pipe um, related to Tucker. Okay. They've been doing a lot of filler on the nightly show. Like they... So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they play extended clips from Tucker Carlson today, which isn't unusual um, on the nightly show. But then uh, on the Monday episode this week, there was a huge interstitial where they played, they just played like 10 minutes from Patriot Purge. It's little stuff like that as though kind of like they're low on content or otherwise unprepared. And at times when I've gotten that vibe from the show, it's usually when like a documentary is about to drop or something. Which I, I'm 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 guessing they record Tucker's interstitials last for those. Okay. Um. And then the other weird thing going on this week was that Tucker is really ramping up plugging product sales through the their new TuckerCarlson.com. They launched this website a couple of months ago, and Tucker has been easing into more of like a, a salesman role. He does not seem super, super comfortable with it. But it's becoming a lot more prevalent, and I've noticed they're kind of diversifying the products. Up until this point, it's mostly been like Tucker's books and Fox Nation subscriptions. But now they've added some other stuff to the store. And I, I, I pulled the copyright for this new website, and the LLC that it uh, is affiliated with is outside of Fox. So th- hmm. this this new Tucker Carlson website does appear to be independent of the Fox company, which I find interesting. That is interesting. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a predictions guy, but I think that something is going to happen soon um, in Tucker's world. So I'm curious to see what that'll look like and if I turn out to be an idiot. <laughs> Only one way to find out, I suppose, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so with all that in mind, I, uh, I I wanted to make sure we cataloged this week and some of the anomalies we've been seeing there. And it uh, gives me a little bit of time to, to put the finishing touches on what will be next week, our Glenn Beck deep dive. Oh, boy. Um, barring something insane happening in Tucker's world that I need to cover, but uh, expect Glenn Beck next week. And let me tell you, Tyler, listen to Glenn Beck. I mean, I, I hate him, but mm-hmm. I at least get why people enjoy Glenn Beck. Like, he is a talented broadcaster. He's He's got a knack for storytelling. He's got a great voice. Like, I I, I, I get it more so than I do with a lot of these guys. 
yeah, I do my best to avoid talking or thinking about Glenn Beck ever. I think the last time I remember like seeing something of his was in like 2014, the video game Watch Dogs was released and he had a segment about how video games are teaching our children to hack by holding X. <laughs> Serious danger. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my experience with Glenn Beck. <laughs> I think it's going to be really relevant. And I, I may be putting the car before the horse here because this, this week is not the Glenn Beck show. But I will say, like the, the, the reason I wanted to do, do our uh, look at Glenn Beck is because I really do think his tenure at Fox set the stage for Tucker's arrival and what his show eventually became. Another nice thing about this week is that it's Tucker Tucker covers a story that he actually picked up from Glenn Beck's reporting. And so it'll make a nice little segue. We'll be able to follow up on the other side of that next week. Um, But for now, we are looking at December 6th through 9th, Monday through Thursday. All right. Um, You know, I had field tested doing a, a question of the week segment at the beginning and I just didn't feel like it was really working the couple of times I tried it. But I think I might have come up with a, a, a wrinkle that'll it kind of give it the give it the hook we need. Um, okay. So, so what I'm thinking is that I'll I'll pick out a a weird question that Tucker asks from the week and then see if you can answer that question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you're not content for people to think you're an idiot. You have to make sure that everyone knows that I'm an idiot too. I see. I see your games. And this one is probably unfair to start with. Um, <laughs> I, I knew it. I fucking called it. I don't think anyone will blame me if you struggle with this one. <laughs> and it is a multi-part question. So. Okay, I'll try to keep up. We'll see. The question is, is giving your camel Botox a crime? How unattractive does your camel have to be to get plastic or reconstructive surgery? Is this within bounds? We've got a lot of questions. We'll address them next. My brain hurts. And we're we're like five minutes in. <laughs> okay. Uh, how ugly does your camel have to be? It has to be like a three max. Like... <laughs> I hate Tucker, and I would absolutely spend a day with him raiding camels, like some sort of camel Tinder. <laughs> so with great. that out of the way, uh, let's jump into Monday. And to open with, Tucker has uh, a take that is very frustrating. That sounds about right. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Sign happy Monday. If you're planning to be in Washington, D.C. tomorrow, your nation's capital, be careful. Turns out a group of political extremists plans to shut the city down. We're not guessing about this because they're not very subtle about what they intend to do. They literally call their group Shut Down D.C. You can go to their website. On it, the extremists describe the violence they plan to commit tomorrow in Washington. They're planning, quote, disruptive direct action to end, quote, business as usual and dismantle this country's core systems of government. In case there's any remaining doubt about their goal, they're calling tomorrow's disruptive direct action, quote, December 7th, shut down the Capitol, as in the United States Capitol. 
so we have the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> uh, and since I didn't hear anything about this, I'm guessing shutdown DC did not successfully shut down DC on December 7th. <laughs> yeah, not, not quite. They didn't quite reach their, reach that <laughs> aspiration. <laughs> so it shut down. DC is a, an, an organization. It's a, um, a left-leaning activist organization. The demonstrations that they were planning for December 7th, which was this past Tuesday, were um the the goal was to try and push congress to pass the build back better bill they organized different groups to block off several streets around the capital um the idea being that they would create like an annoying disruption and since you know you didn't hear anything about the uh the violence and chaos that tucker is promising i'm sure you can imagine that this wasn't that big of an event (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah that seems to be the impression i read some reporting on how how this day went down activists disrupted rush hour traffic and more than three dozen were arrested around the u.s capitol on tuesday in two separate protests demanding congressional action on a host of liberal priorities including climate change immigration racial justice and dc statehood protests started around 7 a.m and included plans for a brass band at pennsylvania and constitution avenues a go-go band on a flatbed truck on the on the Potomac Avenue Metro Station, another street blockade at 4th Street and Independence Avenue, and others focused on climate change and racial justice. U.S. Capitol Police had said Sunday that drivers should anticipate sudden road, road closures and traffic delays. Just before 8 a.m., a band blocked part of Independence Avenue on 4th Street Southwest, and protesters briefly blocked part of Pennsylvania and Constitution Avenues. By 10 a.m., Capitol Police tweeted that all roads that experienced closures were reopened. By Tuesday afternoon, there were 38 people arrested for crowding, obstructing, or incommoding, a Capitol Police spokesman confirmed. So this whole thing lasted for three hours. They blocked off like three or four streets. They had people playing music. <laughs> and then it, it started at 7 a.m. It was over by 10 a.m. when all streets been reopened. And 38 people were arrested. That sounds like quite a few. Yeah. So if you're in D.C., I hope you're okay. I hope you made it through that a whirlwind of destruction and tyranny. Yeah, it's a miracle anyone survived, honestly. Yeah, so w- with the benefit of hindsight, this clip is a little bit funny, but it's also very annoying the way Tucker is trying to spin this. Yeah. You call an event like this, there's really no other word for it. It's an insurrection. It's a planned uprising against our elected government. In fact, it's an attack on democracy itself. This may be the most organized attack since the Civil War and 9-11. Now, if you've been paying attention for the past year, last 11 months to the day, in fact, you probably assume our elected officials vehemently oppose this. They're against insurrections. In fact, at this point, insurrections are the main thing they're against. Their whole job is to oppose insurrecting. Nancy Pelosi tells us that every day. So does Liz Cheney but not in this case. Turns out some insurrections are just fine. It depends on who's planning on insurrecting. Just today, Nancy Pelosi's top bodyguard, William J. Walker, installed in March, the House Sergeant-at-Arms, issued a statement describing tomorrow's insurrection as the shutdown the Capitol event, by the way. This is the citywide First Amendment demonstration. No big deal, implied Walker, just a group of political extremists coming to shut down the U.S. Congress while it's in session. It's not a threat. Okay, this is interesting. 
I didn't expect him to defend the people who were protesting. I, I think his take here is a little bit confused because he's yeah. trying, obviously, to uh, highlight hypocrisy in that, like, oh, the authorities are fine with this insurrection, but the the January 6th insurrection was a bad thing. Um, it, but then putting it, aside the fact that this wasn't an insurrection and they <laughs> yeah. weren't at the Capitol. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like the, the, there is a difference between, between route um, like asking for the passage of a bill from elected leaders and trying, trying to, to overturn stop. an election. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, even just ignoring the obvious differences here, like Tucker, like this is incoherent because he, if he wants to highlight this supposed hypocrisy and make fun of the elites for supporting some insurrections and not others, then he has to also say that it's okay for uh, people to demonstrate in the streets for left-wing causes, which in the previous clip he was very mad about and warning people to stay out of D.C., yeah (laughs) yeah he kind of lost me there a little bit weird weird tucker it's almost like some political demonstrations are okay with you and not others funny how that (laughs) works yeah crazy yeah so he 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 bitches about january 6th um and and this you know dc insurrection and what he perceives as a disparate response um like well like given the number of people who participated, there was actually a greater percentage arrested in this protest, <laughs> but uh, whatever. Yeah, I was curious about that, and then I didn't ask it out loud, because, like, 38 sounded high. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, he, he he complains about this for a bit, and then he, he brings on attorney Joseph McBride. Uh, this is the attorney. He appeared in Patriot Purge. He's representing Big O Barnett and a couple other of the Capitol rioters. He, McBride is on tonight because he's submitted a new filing to the court about uh, agent provocateurs in the crowd on January 6th. So he's essentially taking the Tucker Carlson narrative about January 6th and uh, bringing it to the courts. So we'll see how that works out for him. But he brings on McBride to discuss the letter he filed with the court today. Joseph McBride has been on this really since the very beginning. He's one of the rare, competent attorneys representing the January 6th defendants, a bunch of them. In a court filing last week, McBride alleges there are at least four agent provocateurs, people who are in contact with the Justice Department, on January 6th. These people have never been charged. You've seen some of these videos. They're unbelievable. People encouraging the crowd to break the law, and those people have never been charged. He has seen unreleased videos, Mr. McBride has, that reveal extreme police brutality inside the Capitol. DOJ has kept those videos under seal, of course. McBride wants them released publicly. There's so much going on tonight. Joseph McBride joins us now. Mr. McBride, thanks so much for coming on. So first, um, we'll break this in half. The, the first part of the story is the, the people who are on tape encouraging illegality, which is itself a crime, who have not been charged. What is tonight the status on that as of tonight? After months of investigation, Tucker, uh, these people still not have, have not been charged. We have multiple people on the ground, four in particular that we have identified. Let me just 
call one of these people out. Somebody who was tagged on the Internet by sedition hunters and capital hunters as Redface 45. This is a person who was dressed in Trump gear, in MAGA gear. He's covered in red from the head to toe. He's face paint, his face is painted, uh, uh, is painted MAGA red. He's got a Trump hat on, a Keep America Great Again hat on. Yet he is clearly a law enforcement officer. He interacts with uniformed personnel. He interacts with agents in the crowd. He passes up weapons, sledgehammers, poles, mace. Some of those things come into contact with other protesters who have subsequently been charged with possessing dangerous weapons and or using dangerous weapons at the Capitol. That is clearly that is clearly entrapment. That is clearly the government creating conditions of dangerousness and entrapping members of the crowd to possess weapons and possibly use them for reasons that we cannot comprehend. Wait, may, may I interrupt you right there? Why is it so difficult? Let's put his picture back on the screen. Why is it so difficult in an age of facial recognition? This is the largest dragnet in the history of American justice for one Republican member of Congress to force an answer. Who is this person? Why hasn't he been charged? That's a very simple ask. Why hasn't it been delivered? That is a, a great question. And if you're a Republican congressman or a Democrat congressman or an independent congressperson listening tonight, I implore you, I encourage you to dig into this and to help us because our democracy and our way of life is at stake. It is on the chopping block right now. And unless you fulfill your oath to your constituents and to your country to step up and to do the right thing here, then our democracy will be lost. There is no doubt about it. You have to help us. Yeah, we have an absolute right to know exactly who this person is, at least the other three who are encouraging violence and haven't been charged. Very quickly, you've seen videotape the rest of us have not seen that indicates there was quite a bit of violence that they've highlighted a lot of violence. They've hidden other forms of violence. When are we going to get to see these tapes and on what grounds are they being withheld from the public? They're being withheld from the public because, like the Kennedy assassination, the government does not want us to see the truth about what happened on January 6th. I filed the motion this week asking for the unmasking of, this, of these videos. That motion was joined by the New York Times in a, in a 16, uh, 16 point press conglomerate. They, they signed on and they said, you know what, we want to see the truth about what happened as well. The police brutality that took place inside of that tunnel is objectionable. There was one woman in particular who was wearing a, a red MAGA hat who was beaten within an inch of her life. Guess what? She lived and she is likely at some point going to tell that tale. Roseanne Boylan died at the foot of those steps. Ashley Babbitt was murdered on national TV and nobody has said nothing. The other side has labeled her an insurrectionist when she yeah. was nothing of the sort, nothing of the kind. The truth is going to come out. They cannot stop it. That is why we are asking for the government and for the judge, quite frankly, to release these tapes and let the chips fall where they may. Let the public and let the media objectively look at the evidence here and make a decision about what really happened that day. The truth is on our side. We are not hiding anything, Tucker. Well, exactly. If you believe in democracy, then you understand the public has a right to know what happens in its name, in its Capitol building, especially if you're going to change America on the basis of that day. Let's find out what happened that day. It's very, very simple. And I appreciate all your efforts to make that come true. Joseph McBride. Thank, thank, thank you. you so much, Tucker. And if I, if, if I may, Patriot Freedom Project, go there if you want to help us. It's a great, it's a great place where Patriot Freedom Project is helping uh, the families who have been affected by this and raising yep. legal funds as well. Thank you, Tucker. Thank you. I have all of the evidence. It's in this box. No, you can't open the box. <laughs>
don't be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, in particular, I want to focus here on um, the this red face forty five. This guy in the red face paint, who McBride said is clearly a federal agent. Um, this is the guy Tucker said. Let's put him back up on the screen. Why in the age of facial recognition can't we ID this guy? Um, so this is this is honestly really funny. Um, the red faced man identified in that video as Red Face Forty Five. In, in the wake of this segment, that man has been identified, and he's actually kind of a minor local celebrity in St. Louis. He's known there as a rally runner. Uh, And the rally runner is known for sprinting around the Bush Stadium during St. Louis Cardinals games. And he even does so wearing the same red face paint. He's just a massive Cardinals fan. Now, uh, a photo of rally runner was featured in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch in October 2013, when the Cardinals reached the World Series. At the time, rally runner told the paper that his running, quote, strengthens the the spirit of the Cardinals to get the energy to win. Rally Runner also told a paper in 2016 that his running was spiritual. Rally Runner has built up a decent Facebook following over the years, where he's extremely active. He often posts multiple times a day, including extensive documentation of his trip to D.C. and his presence at the Capitol on January 6th. He posted photos from his drive, videos from the Capitol, and a lengthy recap of his experience there. He even noted that he spent $13 on parking. Long before January 6th, Rally Runner made his support for Trump clear. He posted computer-generated videos of himself dancing with Trump in front of an American flag and riding behind Trump on a bald eagle's back. Oh, God, why are they so (laughs) cringy? When the then-president said the election was stolen, Rally Runner echoed Trump's talking points along with his posts on the latest Cardinals developments. Quote, There's no way on God's green earth that we can accept a fraudulent election stolen from the people, he said in a video he filmed while riding his bike in December. It's treason, he said in a Facebook live stream on December 6th. We cannot allow this to continue without standing up and fighting back. We got to declare that we are going to stand up and fight for what is right. His next Facebook video was him singing off tune Christmas songs. But my favorite part of the story is that Rally Runner is a huge Tucker Carlson fan. In October, he reposted a video captioned, Tucker drops nuke on Fauci worshippers. He also posted a screenshot from Tucker Carlson tonight in August, a clip of Candace Owens on Tucker in April, and a clip of Tucker speaking to Marjorie Taylor Greene in June. Along with one Tucker Carlson clip, Rally Runner posted, This is so true, what he says. On another, he wrote, Tucker nails it again. So true. And in November, he posted, Look at my post from Tucker Carlson on my timeline recently. If Dems get Senate and President, we are screwed. Everyone is screwed. The Huffington Post reporter who, um, who ID'd this guy contacted Joseph McBride about this. At first, McBride stood by his claims, saying, I don't believe that at all. Amateur mascot or not, we maintain our position. HuffPost asked how firm McBride was in his suggestion that Rally Runner was an undercover member of law enforcement. McBride said, I'm just as firm as the government is in suggesting that my clients are domestic terrorists. If they're going to throw out terms like that, we have no problem throwing out a counterterm, none whatsoever. However, as HuffPost went into more detail explaining why the idea that Rally Runner was a federal agent was absurd, McBride shifted his tone a bit. He said that his job was to defend his client, 
and that he didn't need to be right in everything he claimed. If I'm wrong, so be it, bro. I don't care, McBride added. I don't give a shit about being wrong. McBride went on to say that he was simply theorizing things and not publishing conclusive findings. And he said that his appearances on Tucker Carlson's show were part of his effort to combat the narrative being given about his January 6th clients. Quote, if this guy turns out to be some some guy who runs around the Cardinal Stadium with his face painted, then that's great. If that's the truth, then so be it. And God bless America. For his part, Rally Runner does not believe the prevailing narrative about January 6th either. By January 13th, he wrote that he felt as if the rush to the Capitol was some sort of setup, and I wish I would have known I would not have gone. By the next day, he'd fully pivoted to the latest talking point, saying that the attack he bragged about participating in was all a setup. Quote, Capitol riots were set up by evil Democrats. Very sad. So... This is funny, kind of on a number of levels. One that this guy that they're so confident, like McBride was like, he's obviously a federal agent, but he's this like weird St. Louis guy known for running around the Cardinal Stadium. But my favorite part of this story is that this guy believes the or buys into the narrative that January 6th was a false flag by feds. Rally Runner himself buys into that. And he's a huge Tucker Carlson fan. It's probably a big source for his belief of that narrative. He reposts a bunch of Tucker Carlson clips. And then Tucker Carlson on his show accuses this guy of being a fed who was a provocateur on January 6th. (laughs) Oh, man. How is how is this movement still working if everyone's just eating each other? I don't <laughs> it's so funny. It's okay, so Joseph McBride is a lawyer who doesn't care about the truth. His his response is so funny there. Just the quote is if I'm wrong, so be it, bro. I don't care. I don't give a <laughs> shit about being wrong. <laughs> he fucking broed the Huffington Post. <laughs> McBride did say in his letter to the court that he identified four people he believed to be feds. So I I looked into the other three. One is a character who the online has dubbed Goggles Man because he wore goggles. Um, Okay. And I will just say for this, I ended up looking at a bunch of the stuff that um, these online sedition hunters have been doing. And they're doing some amazing work. There's a, a spreadsheet that you can find that tracks... Every person who has been identified in footage from the Capitol riots by like nicknames describing them, and then the wow. people who the people who they've been able to identify, they demarcate them. Um, what, if any, militia groups they're associated with? What parts of the Capitol they did or didn't go into? Whether or not they're seen committing violence? Like it's extensive. That sounds super interesting. Yeah, I'll send you the link. It's really cool. Awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, so Goggles Man has. He's been identified as a member of the Proud Boys from Florida. I'm, I'm not going to say his name because just because like it, he, his identity was confirmed through the open source things. So I'm not a hundred percent positive. Like there hasn't been any official confirmation, but I will say they, they had pictures side to side and it's pretty compelling. It can be said pretty confidently that Goggles man is a Proud Boy from Florida and not a federal officer. Um, next up is Pippi Longscarf. Now, Pippi Longscarf has not yet been identified, 
And I will say his behavior at the Capitol is a little bit suspect. He seems to have stood by the ledge of the L tunnel for about an hour where he was trying to pass out pepper spray to people, um, which is a weird behavior. Yeah. And in absence of any more information on that, I'm going to leave that be for now. Um, and then the fourth guy McBride identifies as Birdman. I was not able to find any indications about who Birdman is. So that one's still a mystery to me. But if I mean, his his best example, the one he came out swinging was this rally runner guy. So I'm assuming that the evidence for others is equally, if not more flimsy. Yeah, I mean, what he told Tucker was he was handing out guns and the police were nice to him, but the police were nice to everyone on January 6th. (laughs) And Republicans are overwhelmingly like gun owners. And like if they, they thought that it was a revolution. So they all brought their guns. Like that's not, that's not evidence that they're a fed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think Tucker might be a fed. I think that's going to be the official line of this podcast from now on. Oh, Tucker Carlson, well-documented fed. <laughs> fed up, am I right? Um, so then at this point, Tucker segues. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to let this play. So let's say you're president of the United States and you wake up in the morning, look at your poll numbers and find yourself somewhat less popular than chlamydia. What do you do? We've already lost control of the border and of the economy of the society itself. So maybe you would start a war with Russia. Totally possible. Desperate politicians do desperate things. That is possible. We're going to be hitting that in some detail tomorrow night. We hope you'll stay for that. Now, I was not I was not able to find any good data on the popularity of chlamydia. (laughs) Um, But I have to assume that fewer than 30 (laughs) percent of the population are in favor of it. Where does where does he come up with this shit? <laughs> and I, I I will just say Tucker like online Tucker fans loved that line. I saw it reposted over and over again. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, the, the, this war with Russia thing. This is a huge sticking point for Tucker all week. It has to do with Russian um, Russia ramping up aggression in Ukraine. An increasing military presence there. Ukraine obviously being a sovereign nation and a U.S. ally. The U.S. is like, yo, stop that. Yeah. And and things have been getting increasingly tense on that front. Um, Tucker's take on the situation is America gains nothing from helping Ukraine. We might as well uh, let Putin take all of Europe for all we care. Uh, Let's deal with our, our business here. And then beyond that, he also thinks that it's a bad idea to view Russia as an enemy because they're a bulwark against the real threat, which is China. The the way that like military allyship works is like we agree to protect each other. I thought Tucker was a big supporter of following through on deals that you make. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he also thinks NATO should have dissolved 25 years ago. So, okay. Uh, he, he talked about this a lot this week. Um, we aren't going to deal with it too directly at this point, just because it is um, complicated and I don't know quite how I want to approach it yet. I have actually reached out to somebody who 
knows a bit more about the intricacies of the Ukraine situation than I do just to try and um, get my feet on, on firmer ground a little bit. And then, so that that's something we will talk about, but for this week, we're kind of going to leave it be, but you're going to hear it come up a bit as Tucker talks because he, he can't get it off his mind. Like he's throwing out Ukraine references left and right. And even in unrelated stories, he really thinks we're going to go to war with Russia. Very normal, healthy thing to, to do. Tyler, I think because we spend so much time in Tucker's world that we lose sight sometimes of just how fucking weird he is. Um, and this clip illustrates that very well. This show is weird. So as predicted, that suspension was in fact a firing. Chris Cuomo is gone. He defended his brother. That's his crime. But what about the Dwarf King? He still reigns at CNN for a little while anyway. What did he know exactly, and how has he escaped punishment? If Chris Cuomo is doing it, the Dwarf King really didn't know? <laughs> we have details. Yeah. Yeah, Tucker's pretty fucking weird, isn't he? Just to make sure it wasn't crazy, I played that clip for my wife. <laughs> she said, what, what, who, who is the Dwarf King? What is he talking about? <laughs> yeah and and you're right like i'm just so used to that it's like yeah that seems like something he would say (laughs) also uh we talked about it before but um people aren't upset that chris cuomo defended his brother like that is a that is a you have to water down the situation so much to get it to that point (laughs) yeah and, and it's just so classic tucker he's He's always talking about something that is slightly askew of reality, but easier to attack. I think there's a word for that. Um, <laughs> like some kind of person made of straw. <laughs> As you build something up, it's really easy to knock down. But yeah, the, um, the, the, the Dwarf King is CNN President Jeff Zucker. Okay. And I... Does have... his audience know that? I'm sorry. Or, or are they just like, yeah, the Dwarf King. Who's that? Fuck the Dwarf King. <laughs> um, I actually have a theory about this Dwarf thing that we're going to talk about a little bit later. And I'll need you to be honest with me if, I, if you think I'm a crazy person when we get to it. Um, okay. But we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. For now, just know that the Dwarf King is Jeff Zucker. <laughs> okay. I don't usually think that you're crazy when you say things, so maybe you'll surprise me today. So Tucker has been plugging more on his show, and part of the reason I think that things are in in a transitional state right now is that Tucker did not plug products before. Even we've been doing this podcast uh, like nine months now. That's crazy. And... (laughs) When we started, he was not plugging products on his show, and now he does it before almost every break since they've launched TuckerCarlson.com. Um, and so I, I don't know if there's maybe trying to compensate for a loss in ad revenue, or if he's preparing to move into like an independently run thing. I, we'll see. But either way, he's going to need to work on this because he is a bad salesman. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of sounds like he's slowly turning into Alex Jones. Brilliant journalist Alex Jones. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. And apparently, according to producers, you can go shopping on our website, Christmas Shopping, or whatever, TuckerCarlson.com is the place. Look at that. According to our producers, I guess you can go Christmas shopping or whatever. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, uh, that's what I would sound like if I was told to sell something. Yeah, his, his heart is not in that, which I, yeah. in, in a way, I kind of grudgingly respect. Like, at least he is not that naturally that kind of a grifter. Yeah, yeah. One point for Tucker. One singular point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this got me curious about exactly what products are being sold on TuckerCarlson.com. Because I hadn't really checked since the site launched. And at that point, it was just like copies of his books. Um, How long ago did it launch? Oh, probably four months. Oh, wow. Okay. It's been a while. Um, And so I I wanted to check in and see how the store has expanded now. There's some interesting stuff here. You can still get a copy of The Long Slide, his most recent book. And you can get an exclusive Christmas gift pack with a signed book for $70. But then there are other products here, too. I'm going to share the screen with you quick. Where's my brain force? That's that's my question. <laughs> All right. So we have here Tucker's 2021 Christmas ornament for $25. Don't um, Fauci my Christmas? What does that <laughs> yeah. even mean? Yeah, he's selling these ornaments that say, don't Fauci my Christmas. And... I don't know what the pun is. I don't either. And then it's just a tacky ornament anyway. It's like a a, a gray disc and don't vouch you my Christmas is kind of on the edges. And then it has a big Tucker Carlson logo and 2021 on it. It looks like a campaign Christmas ornament. Like he's running for office in 2021 or something. Yeah, it's 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 very weird. Yeah. Um, and then we've got Tucker Carlson camo beverage coolers for $20. Uh, you can get a Tucker Carlson coffee mug for $20, a Tucker Carlson golf ball and tea set for $25. And then there's two golf balls, two golf yeah. balls for $25. And then there's the iHeart Tucker Carlson dog leash. Uh, um, iHeart Tucker Carlson fishing lure or iHeart Tucker Carlson pet collar. Uh, if you don't want the gift pack, then a signed copy of the long slide is just $54. Oh, unsigned, it's 26 So it doubles in value to buy it signed. What a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> and then we have here the Tucker Carlson tactical box. Hmm. <laughs> it says hunting and fishing, but then it calls it a tactical box, which gives it a different vibe, yeah, I feel. It- and it's just like a a, a black tote style box that says Tucker Carlson on it. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Then you can get a, a a polo for sixty bucks. What is this for? <laughs> it, it's very strange, and in, in particular, he's going to be hawking those "Don't Fauci My Christmas Ornaments" hard this week. It doesn't even make sense. It's no, not... it, like I, I, I like I really don't know what they're trying to do with "Don't Fauci My Christmas." Like I, yeah. I, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, Tucker this week on Tucker Carlson today had an interview with a evolutionary biologist and the title was denying biology. So as I'm sure you can guess, the the point is essentially that trans people don't exist. 
Yep, that sounds um, about right. And I, what does I, an evolutionary biologist have to do with gender? And yeah, I, I have not watched the whole thing yet, but in the portion that I did watch, he was talking about how like it. You know, we're very comfortable in science saying that all mammals, most reptiles, most plants have a male and a female gender by which they reproduce. It's only when it comes to humans that you can't use that language. Uh, Yeah, because other animals don't have gender in the same way. What do you mean? Like, (laughs) it's like a a function of higher cognition, and yeah, like, and then Tucker, Tucker, well, because then the scientist said. And I notice even a lot of the, my colleagues in the field who will criticize me for my stance on this, they've done work studying meadow voles and other animals like that, and they're very comfortable having a, a male-female binary in their research. And Tucker said, are there transgender meadow voles? To which the evolutionary biologist replied, not that we were aware of. <sighs> uh, so it, 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 it's extremely stupid. Um at some point when I am scrounging for an episode, I might do something with that interview. But for our weekly dose of transphobia in, in this round, Tucker, he got talking again about um, transgender athletes and women's sports. And it's fresh on his mind because of this swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania, who other women on the swim team are complaining that this trans swimmer is beating them all the time. Um, and the, t- Tucker is using that, you know, obviously to to illustrate that no trans person should ever be able to play a sport ever. And he brings on the he brings on this lady Kara Dansky. He calls her a card carrying liberal. Um, she's a registered Democrat, somebody who Tucker doesn't agree with about a lot of stuff, but she's with him on this. And so he brings her on and. I, I cut out most of the stuff related to the swimmer because I, I just don't care. But the broader point that Karadansky makes here and that Tucker readily co-signs is fucking disgusting. So what you're saying is she's team turf? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, her and Dave. Who, By the way, Tucker Carlson, because uh, he's still talking about Jesse Smollett a lot, too. Um, Why? He uh, apparently somebody told Tucker that Dave Chappelle pronounces it Juicy Smollett. Because Tucker has boosted that now and started started saying that instead. Because given Tucker's sense of humor, I'm sure that is just the funniest thing he's ever heard. Sense of humor is an overly generous representation of what that is. <laughs> um, this is actually the point where he catches himself. He says Jesse Smollett, and then he goes uh, Juicy Smollett. So yeah, uh, here is Turf Queen Karadansky. The other thing I just want to say is very often this is framed as having so-called transgender athletes participating in women's sports. And I really want us to get away from that language. The truth of the matter is that he is a man and he's been allowed to compete in women's sports. Part of the problem is that a lot of this is happening because of a series of orders that the Biden administration issued over the course of the first six months of the administration impacting Title IX among other federal administrative laws. And it essentially says that throughout federal administrative law, the word sex has to be redefined to include the words gender identity. And that is a disaster for women and girls, including the women who are on the UPenn women's swimming team. 
Yeah, well, it just eliminates women and girls but, as, a, as a meaningful category. Like, they don't exist anymore. So how can you undo this? I mean, let's be honest. You, you cover this stuff. I, I'm from Washington. Like, you, you change something like that, no one ever changes it back, right? Well, so there is currently a lawsuit pending that was filed by 20 states, and I'm proud to say that the U.S. chapter of the Women's Human Rights Campaign submitted a brief in that case arguing that redefining sex to include the nebulous, nonsensical concept of gender identity also right. constitutes sex discrimination. And so I'm very happy to be involved in that lawsuit. But I also just want to note that what I unpack in the book shows that this goes far beyond sports. So we're seeing, for example, and we've talked about this before, too, states like California, Washington and other states across the country are allowing convicted male rapists and murderers to be housed in women's prisons on the basis of their so-called gender identity. We're seeing yeah. the total invasion of women's spaces, prisons, bathrooms, locker rooms, changing rooms and sports by men on the basis of their so-called female gender identity. And what I really want everyone to understand is that words like gender identity don't have any meaning. They really yes. don't. I mean, they're right. defined variously, inconsistently, and um, vaguely in ways that don't make any sense. Every single human being is either a male person or a female person. Everything else is a lie. Man, I, I, if you ever have an hour, I'd love to sit down and just hear what your life has been like since you started saying obvious truths like that uh, on television. I think you paid a, a big cost. I would love to hear about it at some point. Anyway, in the meantime, thank you. Well, Cara if Dance. I could just make one plea. Yeah. I have, uh, can I make one plea of to course. your viewers? Okay. So I have one plea to make, which is this. As Tucker knows, I'm a registered Democrat, as he said right. in my introduction. I have made common cause with many Republicans who are fighting back against so-called gender identity ideology. One thing that has frustrated me is that across the political spectrum, people still seem to be of the view that the phrase transgender people, the phrase transgender athlete, the phrase transgender student, the phrase transgender prisoner has some sort of coherent meaning. It doesn't. Right. And so my plea to your viewers in particular, I know that it's Republicans who are holding the line. I don't like it, but I know it's true. Republicans are holding the line on material reality. All of that goes out the window when you use a word like transgender. It You're just totally doesn't right. exist. And I'm, so I'm begging viewers to stop using it. Thank it's you so, so much. Smart. The language matters. Karadansky, thank you so much. I don't understand the definition of transgender. So obviously that means that transgender people don't exist. It's like, that's so toxic. Like I, yeah, it, it's a point we made before, but it's worth making is that what Tucker wants is not just the denial of civil liberties for trans people, which would be bad enough on its own, but yeah, but his project is entirely like trans erasure. He wants to say like on an individual level, anyone who, I identifies this way it's not valid and they don't deserve to be recognized in that way which completely <laughs> goes against scientific consensus and quote unquote material reality Cara. Yeah, republicans are holding the line of material reality sure uh, yes i i just i i found that very gross and yep um and what pisses me off even more, that point she made about prisons, some states allowing transgender prisoners to be housed in the, the housing for the, the sex they identify as. Yeah, yeah. 
the reason she's bringing that up, we didn't cover it, but a couple of weeks ago, Tucker made a big deal about this story. And, and, and not to downplay it, it is a thing, but a, a woman in a women's correctional facility who claims that she was raped by a uh, transgender inmate who was a trans woman, but um, uh, upon being transferred to women's housing, um, you know, committed rape. Mm-hmm. Um, Tucker set the world on fire of that story. He was furious. And, uh, and I just want to say to that point, and again, not to downplay what happened in the case they're talking about, but what's interesting is that they're so concerned about trans women committing sexual assault if they're allowed to be housed with other women in prison. What they're ignoring is the much much greater prevalence of trans women housed in male correctional facilities being sexually assaulted and raped. Yeah, like rape isn't a isn't a transgender issue by itself. Like rape is a problem with our jail system there's like it's it happens in movies all the time but like there's a very real implication that like if a scrawny kid gets put in jail he'll probably like get raped by some bigger guy in jail you know what i mean right and we're just cool with that for some reason and like if chucker actually cared about like reducing rape in prison he might talk about that and not about the one or two transgender people who committed sexual assault. Exactly. Yes. And, and out of the millions and millions of people in prison. And that's what I want to get to here, because like if they want to cherry pick the story, I could, I could do the same thing. I can play that game. For example, uh, a story in the Detroit pre in the Detroit free press from March, a transgender female prisoner says she repeatedly begged not to be housed with a convicted rapist, but was forced to share a bunk with him anyway. And then allegedly got raped within 24 hours. Her attacker called her a faggot while other inmates taunted her and laughed, she says. If you want to zoom outside of just the the individual anecdotes, there is data that trans women housed with cis men in correctional facilities are very vulnerable to abuse and sexual assault. Just like they are outside of. Yeah. Even meeting him on this front, I'm kind of uncomfortable with it. it. It still feels gross because like... To me, the bigger issue is that so many people are getting raped in prison. Right. Yeah. Like the b- b- people shouldn't be getting raped in prison, period. No. And even if you want to just table all of these arguments about the validity of trans identities, if even if, even if you want to leave that aside, we should all still be able to argue that people shouldn't get raped in prison. This is so fucking easy, you know? And yeah. it's it's so gross that they're trying to weaponize it this way. It's just it it makes me very angry. Yeah. I mean, for my money, we shouldn't have prisons, but if we're gonna have prisons, bare minimum, people should be safe in them. Yes. <laughs> um, and so may- maybe we should do something about that instead of devolving into all these dumb n- not even dumb, because it's very consequential to a lot of people when this type of shit is allowed unchallenged airtime um yeah and and it's it's not just the prisons thing tucker doesn't care about prisons tucker doesn't care about like sports records or whatever 
he just wants trans people to go away and these are yeah. like the avenues by which he can he can justify quote unquote his bigotry yeah trans people make me uncomfortable therefore what are the examples i can use to make less bigoted people think maybe i'm right it's, yeah th- that's the that's the process being applied here yep um and then th- this gets us into tuesday's show and it i just i wanted to i wanted to cut this clip as an example because i tend to isolate kind of the the, the specific things that tucker says but sometimes I, I think it might be useful to zoom out and just give an idea of what it feels like watching Tucker's show kind of uncurated, because it can be very disorienting. Listen to how he gish gallops among different stories here. It's just a game of free association. Senator Roger Wicker of Mississippi, let's use nuclear weapons to defend Ukraine's borders. Senator Joni Ernst, that's a good idea. We must defend Ukraine. Meanwhile, in this country, been to a city recently, there have never been more criminals on the street in our lifetimes than there are right now. And that's the result of government policy that the rest of us set back and allowed to happen. Not all those criminals are adults, by the way. Families have fallen apart. A lot of them are kids. They know they're not going to face any consequences for what they do. Here's tape from Chicago. Dozens of young people surround a bus driver and beat him for no apparent reason. it's not happening in Ukraine, maybe people would care at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, worst attack since the Civil War. Been to our country recently? Just days ago, a student at Temple University in Philadelphia was murdered during a carjacking. He was bringing his mom's car home. They shot him. Why? No reason. Wrong kind of guy. He's the latest victim of violent crime in Philadelphia, which is about to set an all-time record for murders. Now, why is this happening? One man, his name is Larry Krasner. He's the D.A., He got the job with the help of George Soros, and he's pretending, not surprisingly, that none of this is actually happening. Notion that there's some kind of a big spike in crime. There isn't. There is not a big spike in crime. That is not true. There is also not a big spike in violent crime. Neither one of these things is true. Basically, we don't have a crisis of lawlessness. We don't have a crisis of crime. We don't have a crisis of violence. And that is a category that includes gun violence. Stop at the air quotes, Soros puppet. Meanwhile, Sandy Cortez, who commands disproportionate attention, probably because who knows why, but she's surrounded by federally funded bodyguards that you're paying for. She's still in therapy for the trauma she experienced on January 6th. She wasn't even there. She's telling you that the fact your city is decaying and you could get shot to death going to Walgreens is not a big problem because there really is no crime problem, really. We have to talk about the specifics because, for example, we're actually seeing a lot of uh, these allegations of organized retail theft are not actually panning out. Like when, like these, I believe it's a Walgreens in California cited it, but what they, but the data didn't back it up. So. Just another out of touch puppet of the ruling class. If you were actually a revolutionary, Sandy Cortez, you'd be on the side of the people who are the victims of this crime, which is people unlike you who have no power. So. That was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was two and a half minutes. And if you're trying to track the thoughts over that course of time, 
we started off with Republican senators think we should go to war with Ukraine, uh, but there's a lot of crime in America right now. Yep. And families are falling apart, so kids are committing crimes. Here's a bus driver getting beaten, but our leadership is obsessed with January 6th. Meanwhile, the murder rate in Philadelphia is high, and the reason for that is Soros puppet Larry Krasner. Yep. Here's a video of AOC. <laughs> like, yeah it's i'm i'm still not used to him like misnaming her so i i like i'm like who and then i'm like oh it's aoc <laughs> it's just it's... also he said that she wasn't there like she was obviously there there's photos of her in there yeah i, I think what he's referring that to coming from I think what, what he's referring to is they were in the senate chamber and the house is like on the same grounds but detached okay um, a distinction without a difference. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just it's it's a lot of his show is this way. It's like a free association of ideas, and, and a, a lot of what it is, he'll pick a specific instance of a bad thing happening, and then just like connect it to some bigger idea about like the state of the country or the world, um, yeah. and just like builds these kind of mental shortcuts, like. Oh, if this bad thing happened, it's because everything is bad. That's that's really his signature move. <laughs> yeah, and then he claims that um, that like our streets are filled with criminals, which sounds like he's saying our streets are filled with black people. But I, yeah, and um, when, when he was talking, he, he was talking about a, a guy who got shot in a carjacking, and then he said, "Why did they target him? No, no reason. Just the wrong kind of guy." I feel like there's an implication there. Yeah. Like, uh, what's the wrong kind of guy in your in your world, you Tucker? Oh, well, you mean a white guy? Yeah, you're right. I didn't I did not catch that actually, but um, but yeah. Um, uh, lots of fucked up things that you're saying on your show there, Tucker. And then like when he was talking about DA the DA Larry Krasner, he was really hammering home the Soros connections because this story this narrative about Soros prosecutors is something that's hitting hard right now on the run-up to a Soros documentary. And listening to that, I was like, oh, where have I heard somebody talk about Larry Krasner recently? Hmm. Oh, yeah. She is one of a number of extremist district attorneys in the United States whose election was funded by Jewish billionaire George Soros. Like Kimberly Gardner in St. Louis, a black woman, Kim Fox in Chicago, another black woman, and Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. Oh, God, a Jewish man. Speaking of Mike and the NJP, they're releasing a quote-unquote documentary about the the Waukesha parade uh, attack there. Okay. I'm sure that won't be littered with falsities. Yeah, and it's about how it's an anti-white terror attack. So it's another example of... um, narratives kind of narrative slowing very clearly from one to the other between Tucker and uh, the Nazis. Yeah. So then Tucker brings on this guy from the Manhattan Institute, which is where Heather McDonald works to talk about crime. And uh, it's not very interesting, but at the end, Tucker says this, that I kind of sounds threatening. We should take Sandy Cortez's federally funded bodyguards away tonight. I would say. Just my view. Raphael, great to see you tonight. Thank you for your work. People I disagree with don't deserve to have their lives protected, even if they're civil servants. Uh, yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. 
And he's the one claiming that like Democrats are going around saying you're not allowed to disagree. And he's saying, I think she deserves to die like (laughs) about as about as clearly as you can on cable news, probably. Yeah. And he also makes fun of her all the time for um, because she said that she was in therapy after January 6th. And gosh, I wonder why you'd want to go to therapy after you (laughs) are nearly murdered. Yeah. and that just really bothers me because it's it's such a it's such a low blow. Yeah. Um you don't need to be nearly murdered to to desire therapy, but um <laughs> that's a really good excuse. <laughs> Which reminds me, this past week Tucker was on some podcast, I don't remember the name. Um but in his appearance there, he said that one of his kids was inside the Capitol on January 6th. Which piqued my interest. Um, That's interesting, <laughs> but it it but it turns out he he's almost certainly talking about his son Buckley, who works for Congressman Jim Banks as a staffer. So it, it, Tucker's kid would have been there as a staffer, not a rioter. Okay. Um. But still, it's just it's it was it was a weird thing to say, given you know his yeah everything yeah. Um, and of course, this kid works with Jim Banks. So, <laughs> I'm not um, familiar, but I presume he's a Republican. Yeah, he's he's. I don't I don't think I've uh, I don't think we've covered it, but he's been on the show a couple of times. Okay, um, which maybe Tucker should disclose. Hey, my kid works for this guy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, here. Uh, so Tucker is really mad because the Biden White House apparently had a meeting with members of the press to discuss uh, coverage of the economy. And he says something here that I want to talk about on the other side. So inflation is absolutely real. You know what? If you buy anything, people do not like inflation because it means they're getting poorer. So the Biden administration is thinking hard about inflation. They haven't done anything to fix it. What they're doing is trying to change the coverage. So according to CNN, quote, senior White House and administration officials have been holding briefings with major newsrooms over the past week as they try to reshape economic coverage. Well, over at the ever obedient Washington Post, one of the Post columnists, a thoroughly dishonest dwarfish man called Dana Milbank, concludes that the real problem facing the Biden administration is not incompetence, mismanagement, inflation. No, no, no. It's an unfair and hostile media. He just wrote a piece saying the media treats Joe Biden worse than it treated Donald Trump. What planet? Okay. So I think most of that is dumb. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Like, I I will say, I I don't agree with the statement that the media has treated Joe Biden worse than Donald Trump. Like, by and large, the mainstream media was fairly very harsh toward the Trump administration. Not harsh enough, though. Yeah, I. It almost makes like this. Is, this is a diversion now, but it's something I've been thinking about recently. Actually, is like, would it have been better if they hadn't rushed to cover every like dumb, off the wall, batshit thing that Trump said? Maybe if the line had been like, "We don't need to cover your tweets. Your tweets aren't policy, and it's not relevant." You know, like I. I wonder if things would have been better. Because I I, I kind of think some of the what the right perceived as hysteria encouraged them to double down a bit. Um, 
I don't know. It's not important. <laughs> no, no, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Like, m- like maybe the coverage of him as like a gaff machine made people take him less seriously when he was like actually a really serious threat to democracy the entire time. Yeah. Even before the insurrection. Yeah, like like cover what the administration is doing. Don't cover what some septuagenarian idiot says on Twitter every day, you know? Yeah. Um, but oh, this thought. But what I want to talk about more when he's talking about the guy who wrote that piece about the media being harsher on Biden, the guy was Dana Milbank, who Tucker describes as a dwarvish man. Word of the day. And at this point, I so I want to preface this by saying I probably wouldn't have thought this, except that I've been spending a lot of time recently in online spaces where Tucker Carlson fans congregate. And many of those spaces are deeply anti-Semitic. Okay. Um, Like the, even if you go to the Tucker Carlson subreddit, every now and then you'll find a user complaining about how anti-Semitic the sub has gotten. Um, But for the most part, it goes completely unchallenged there. Like it's, it's par for the course discussion. And then if yeah. you go to Tucker Carlson.win, which is like their quote unquote censorship free Reddit clone. Um, okay. They have a essentially a QA there for, for new arrivals on, on the dot win site. Okay. And one of the top rated questions there for new, for new arrivals is what's your stance on the J question? Yikes. Yeah, um, they, they use all sorts of code, like they'll use the word Amish to mean Jew so they don't get banned and things like that. Okay. But it's it, it's all over the place. And so yes. with that, and also seeing how narratives kind of flow directly from Mike Enoch and the NJP world to Tucker's show, we've seen Tucker use the word dwarf twice now. Mm-hmm. Um, the dwarf king... Jeff Zucker, CNN president. Jeff Zucker is Jewish. And okay, Dana Milbank, the dwarvish man who wrote this column, is Jewish. I think that dwarf might be code. Yeah. That that seems to follow, doesn't it? Especially given that the, the trope is that Jews run the media and the dwarf king is the head of CNN. Um, I and, and there's going to be a third example that's going to come up in the Wednesday episode on Tucker's show that um I'll 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 flag when we get there too. But whether it's coming from Tucker or one of his writers as kind of like a cue to the base, they're getting the message. Yeah, and, and in fact, I know that the message is being received because on the Tucker Carlson subreddit in the discussion about this episode. Somebody said, uh, essentially praised Tucker um, for a comment he made toward the end of the show where he used a, a word. They, they described it as, as essentially a word safe for the mainstream media to mean Jew. I have to assume it's it was that comment about Dana Milbank. Um, oh, okay. So then with with that on the table for now. He brings on Brit Hume to talk about this. 
And we usually don't cover Rit Huma segments because he's profoundly boring. Um, <laughs> okay. But Brit Hume is Fox's senior politics correspondent. He's mm-hmm. 900,000 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of the online, the online spaces that like Tucker, um, Brit Hume is hated in many of those spaces. Because he often comes on as kind of a moderating influence to Tucker's rhetoric. He's more old school. He's still a conservative shithead, but he's more grounded in material reality. And they don't and, like that these days. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I think that, that shows pretty well in this clip. And then at the end, there's a moment that is just absolute Tucker Carlson. All right. Fox News is senior political analyst who's been watching this stuff for many years longer than we've been alive. So do you think, and I'm going to ask you a straightforward question with a straight face, do you think the media are tougher on Joe Biden than they were on Donald Trump? No, they're tougher on Joe Biden than I thought they would be. Yep. But that's, but they're nowhere near as tough as they were on, on Donald Trump, who was hated with a passion from the beginning of the election campaign in 2016, right through the end of his presidency and through until today. I've never seen anything like it. Um, Look, Trump is a flamboyant character yeah. and worthy of a lot of the of the dislike that, that he has. He can't see past himself and all the rest of it. But the, compare the coverage that Biden's got in bad moments, Afghanistan, the outbreak of inflation, the lawlessness in the streets and so on, with what Trump got is absurd. It was done by some cockamamie um, uh, artificial intelligence program that they ran data through and, and, pursued, and proceeded to argue that uh, proof had been had been adduced that uh, that Biden was getting rougher treatment. He's not. It's insane. So you ran news organizations. You ran Fox News as news gathering out of what you were in the Washington bureau. And I just wonder if an administration, set, a White House sat down with you on a subject like inflation, which is measurable because we know what a two by four cost three years ago. We know what it costs now. And they said to you, the real problem, Britt Hume, is that your reporters aren't being fair to us. You would see yourself as being spun, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't expect, look, there's nothing unusual about White House people trying to, to convince reporters to see it their way. Right, of course. It's just spinning. It goes on all the time. It's, you know, it's part of what Washington runs on. Um, it's, not, it's not unusual, and it probably won't make much difference. I, I hope it doesn't, um, because while the administration has a story to tell, it says, look, jobs are being created, the economy is growing, the stock market is going to the moon every day, um, you know, we're living in good times, uh, the inflation, fa- the fact of inflation affects so much of that. I mean, if people are earning more, it, it doesn't help if you're earning more and it's paying for less. And exactly. that's what everybody knows. It's just what you're pointing out. It's politically one of the most one of the most injurious things that can happen to an administration is to have an outbreak of inflation. And the administration says, you know, the thing we need to do now to get it under control is to pass another gazillion dollar spending bill, which is economic glossolalia, speaking in unknown <laughs> tongues. And, <laughs> And I, you know, I trust and hope that uh, members of the media will see it that way. Economic glossolalia. I love that. <laughs> I'm stealing that. I hope no one's watching too so big, I can use this. Too big word. Brittany, thank you. you Great to see you. Economic glossolalia. Unfortunately, Tucker, I'm watching, and I will know when you steal that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brit, use big word. Me likey Brit. <laughs> Um, yeah, on, on the subreddit, they were, they were calling that the best Tucker laugh of the year. So, what? Really? Yeah. 
And in fact, somebody said that's the only thing, the only good thing Brit Hume has ever contributed. So, <laughs> economic glossolalia. A, like, that's a word that feels gross in your mouth when you say it. Yeah, a little bit. I, I wanted to get that on a record, so if I ever catch Tucker using that phrase, I'm, you better believe I'm going to call that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> to, to close out on Tuesday, he gets into greener pastures a bit because we get a visit from Dr. Mark Siegel. Okay, this is a remarkable new study that you will think we are making up, but we are not. Alzheimer's disease, one of the worst things that can happen, is growing in the number of people, the percentage of the population who have it. And tonight, there might be a drug, scientists have isolated, that can cut your risk for Alzheimer's by nearly 70%. Not clear there's ever been a drug like that. Turns out it's Viagra. Are we making that up? No. Dr. Siegel joins us in just a moment to explain. Plus, the show has designed a 2021 Christmas ornament. We believe in Christmas. The Don't Fauci My Christmas. You can get that shipped straight to your home by going to TuckerCarlson.com and clicking shop. No Amazon involved. We'll be right back. You can still get your Don't Fauci My Christmas ornament. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So Viagra cures Alzheimer's now? Yeah, which the, the, this was a legitimate study that they're going to talk about that um, found Viagra seemed to correlate with the lower Alzheimer's risk. And it probably has to do with like um, increasing blood flow to the brain or something like mm. that. Okay. Um, there would need to be follow up studies and like replication to prove a link. But I don't yeah. think there's anything wrong with the study as it stands right now. So um, I mean, that could be good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, and then Dr. Mark Siegel joins to shed some light on the situation. Getting Alzheimer's disease is one of the cruelest fates that can befall a human being. If you've seen it, you know that very well. It's really one of the ongoing tragedies in this country. And scientists are working a long time to figure out how to prevent it. An amazing new study at the Cleveland Clinic says that Viagra, the little blue pill everyone's embarrassed of, may cut the risk of getting Alzheimer's by almost 70%. Can that be true? If so, it's amazing. Dr. Mark Siegel is the man we go to first to ask, is it true? Doctor, thanks for joining us. Is this true? Tucker, I think it's true. I'll take you back to the 1990s when this drug, sildenafil or Viagra, a phosphodiesterase inhibitor, was first developed. We developed it for high blood pressure. And in studying it, nurses noticed a very unexpected finding which led to its current use. But you know, then it was used for lungs to treat lung disease, and now it's being used and studied to treat heart disease. It has more and more uses because it dilates blood vessels. It improves blood flow. And a couple of years ago in Britain, they studied it in mice and found that it improved brain function in mice, Viagra did, and then Harvard studied it last year and found that in yeah. fish, zebrafish, it improved brain function. It decreased getting rid of wa- it improved getting rid of waste in the brain. It improved overall brain function. Along comes Cleveland Clinic. They give it to over seven million people. They monitor seven million people, I should say, who are getting it, and they found a sixty-nine percent decrease in Alzheimer's disease over <laughs> just six years. Incredible numbers. Over seven million people, sixty-nine percent decrease. Tucker. You know, critics have said, well, wait a minute. When, when people are on the verge of Alzheimer's, they decrease interest in sexual activity. They don't want sex. They're not going to ask for Viagra. So it's a prejudiced study. 
I don't agree, Tucker. I think these are big numbers, and Cleveland Clinic is going to go ahead and prove it to give it a lot more people going forward to see if it works if you don't develop Alzheimer's. There's every reason to believe that, you, that this might work. It works directly on the brain. But I'll tell you one thing. Even if I'm wrong, people are going to have a really good time finding out. Tucker? Well, that's exactly right. Celibacy is a chronic condition. We've been arguing that for years. It's true. It's all connected. The life force. Dr. Mark Siegel, it's great to see you tonight. Thank you for that wonderful and hope-filled segment. Thank you. I think it works. Thanks, Tucker. Of course, Viagra cures everything. We could have known that. We'll be back. 8 p.m., the show that's the sworn enemy of lying, pomposity, smugness, and groupthink. Have a wonderful night with the ones you love. Here's Sean Hannity. Wait, it is... What was that at the end? The the life force? The, the Yeah. What? Yeah, that's <laughs> got that too. And the the crisis of celibacy? That is that a thing? C- celibacy is a chronic condition. It's all connected to the life force. Um Tucker there is alluding to some weird shit that he believes about sex and male vitality. Uh he really thinks that a big part of the problem in modern society is is uh, diminished sex drive in men. He thinks that men having a high sex drive leads them to behave in more traditionally masculine ways that are better for society and lead to the creation of families, which are good for people. And it was built that way by God because it is spiritually connected to the life force and leads to the creation of life. And so essentially having a high sex drive is how God intended it to be. And it makes it, it makes life flow better. Um, the, the, that's, okay. that's what I've been able to piece together from the many, many, many like podcast appearances and stuff that I've watched him on that. I think is more or less what he would argue. Okay. (laughs) What a weird, weird thing to believe. And then he'll describe it as like being canine versus feline. And when he thinks someone, especially a man is acting out of like weakness or cowardice, he describes that as feline behavior. Um, That's how sex too. (laughs) He's, what what I wanted to point out here really is that Tucker is a very strange man, and he let that slip a little bit in that <laughs> interview. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, what's your solution to uh, lower libido in men? If that is that a real thing, first of all. Yeah. Uh, I, I, one of his solutions is that women shouldn't be in the workforce because then what? they have because then they have time to cook better meals, which have fewer like microplastics in them that can lower testosterone. Wow. You, you have to stretch so far. (laughs) Why not just work on removing microplastics from the food that we eat? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that, that, that'll come from his conversation. I've listened to with him and Pedro Gonzalez, like it, a lot of these podcast appearances and stuff that he does, um, he just it, it's 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 often very boring. It's a lot of meandering shit, but tucked within it, like he has some very weird beliefs, especially yeah. around like sex and sexuality. Yeah, I mean that's normal for conservatives, but like he's especially weird, I think. 
and then uh, Dr. Mark Siegel did allude to there. Um, the thing that may turn out to be a problem with this study is that something that can happen with Alzheimer's patients is uh, a decreased interest in sex. And so those people might be less likely to ask for Viagra. And so therefore people who are taking Viagra might be less likely to have Alzheimer's. Um, so there's an argument to be made that data could be skewed that way. Dr. Mark Siegel doesn't seem to think so. Um, so yeah, like more study will be needed. <laughs> okay. And then Siegel is familiar. Is this the, the guy who's not actually a doctor and sells vegetable pills or is that a different guy? Oh, no, no, no. That, that, uh, that was Dr. Howard. Okay, um, okay. Siegel is a real doctor. Okay. I, that's a start. I, I'm not totally clear on if he still practices medicine or if he just talks about medicine on, on cable news shows. <laughs> Probably um, pays better. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, he's all over a lot of other Fox programming. He's on Tucker show a little bit less frequently. I think because Siegel is very pro vaccine. Um, okay. Because okay. he, he started showing up on Tucker show less around the time that Tucker leaned harder into anti-vax stuff. Okay. Um, but if you watch like Fox and friends, Siegel is on there all the goddamn time or the morning Joe. Gotcha. Yeah. And just so that I can squeeze some socialism into this episode, I would argue that if you want to address lowered libido in men, we would need to address things like work weeks that are way too long and not having enough time at home and struggling and being like financially stressed all the time. I think that if you could solve those issues, people would have more time to relax uh, and have sex with each other. Um, but something tells me Tucker Carlson doesn't care about those things. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Especially if his argument is we need to get women out of the workforce. Who's going to pay for that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then uh, moving into Wednesday's episode, Tucker is very angry about... A, he, I will say his level of anger might be disproportionate. <laughs> okay. Good evening and right. welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. My Block, My Hood, My City is a nonprofit organization in Chicago. It's designed to teach kids how to become responsible citizens. Now, we can't tell you if the program actually works, but we do know they seem to be aiming in the right direction. Last Saturday afternoon, four members of this group went to Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood to hang Christmas lights. Pretty nice thing to do. Bronzeville was once the center of Chicago's thriving Black-owned business district, but at this point, it's just another dangerous neighborhood in a decaying city. How dangerous is it? Well, as the kids hung their Christmas lights, four thugs got out of an SUV and robbed them. Then a few hours later, someone set fire to a Christmas tree they had set up in a nearby park. Who sets fire to Christmas trees? Well, suddenly a lot of people do. Last December, the same group of volunteers in Chicago had another one of their Christmas trees burned to the ground. The year before that, someone ran over the Christmas tree in Chicago's Washington Park with a car. So there seems to be quite a bit of Christmas tree destroying going on all of a sudden. What does it mean? Well, let's see. This isn't just a matter of people setting fire to balsam firs. A Christmas tree is a symbol. It's a symbol of a specific culture. It's a symbol of a much-loved tradition that is hundreds of years old. 
But above all, it's a symbol of a religion, in this case, the world's largest religion. Torching Christmas trees is an attack on Christianity, obviously. Okay, that took a turn. Um, So knowing nothing about this story except what Tucker said, um, it doesn't seem super unlikely that a giant tree wrapped in electrical wires might catch fire sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And like, and, and these were cases of people setting fire to Christmas trees. Okay. All right. Um, I, I can't afford the benefit of the doubt for Tucker. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I don't know that I would say it was an attack on Christianity, but that's how Tucker is perceiving it. Um, yeah. He's, how he's selling it which like christmas trees are a pagan thing it's, it's just whatever <laughs> <laughs> it, you know the bible has all those passages about christmas trees yeah um, so so he's mad he's mad that they're attacking the culture that they appropriated from <laughs> <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah that's kind of funny um like he he spends a while talking about this but here we get uh, another little uh, another whistle. It's an assault on religious observance. By current standards, destroying someone's religious symbol would be called a hate crime. That's a category much beloved and meticulously chronicled by the Biden Justice Department. The DOJ can tell you precisely how many Korans were burned last year in the United States, but they don't keep track of Christmas trees. Why is that? Well, because they could care less. Christopher Ray isn't dispatching a team of FBI agents to get to the bottom of Christmas arson. Merrick Garland is not going to issue a press release about it. Trust us. The media, for their part, find the whole thing hilarious. After a Christmas display was vandalized three years in a row in a park in Chicago, most recently this past weekend, CBS News produced this headline, quote, search on for Grinch who burned down Christmas tree. Oh, so it's a Grinch. Not an arsonist, not a dangerous anti-Christian psychopath. No, it's a Grinch, an amusing, dwarfishly cute cartoon character absolutely nobody can take seriously. But this is serious. These are not isolated incidents, and they're not being perpetrated by Grinches. I don't know if this is a controversial opinion, but, like, I don't think Christmas is that religious. Not like, for- re- religious people celebrate Christmas, but so do non-religious people. It's like... yeah. Yeah, I like that's a good point. I don't I don't have like the numbers or anything, but I, there are a lot of people for whom Christmas is a fairly secular thing. Like um I, I mean my 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 wife and I are are not religious, but she wanted to put her Christmas tree up the day after Halloween cuz she's so excited for it. Yeah. So like it's it's not like a a, a god thing. It's just a cultural thing. Of course, it does have religious significance for a lot of people, but yeah, also, yeah, for sure. Like, like it started as a religious holiday, of course, but yeah, yeah. And maybe there are robust statistics on the number of Qurans burned last year, but I couldn't find them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then with the so, just to hit this again, he described the Grinch as dwarfishly cute. Um. Hmm. So th- th- that got me curious, given that uh, the previous two times he used the word dwarf this week were in yeah. relation to Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
if you Google Grinch Jewish, you will find that there is a rich history of discussion around the idea that the Grinch represents various anti-Semitic tropes. I think you'll also find that you're on a list if you do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like the the thing most commonly cited is this JSTOR article. Um, And the main quote you'll see from that is, the depiction of the Grinch is in keeping with the medieval tradition of viewing the Jew as both an outcast and a baleful force in society. One who was unable to recognize Jesus as the Messiah and he was also stubbornly unwilling to try. He's essentially like outcast from the Christian tradition of celebrating Christmas. And not only is like separate and removed from it, but is hostile to it and seeks to destroy it. It goes into how the Grinch's conversion represents a lot of these like medieval conversion narratives about Jews that were popular in kind of folklore. Um it's an interesting article. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it goes to great lengths to point out that Dr. Seuss himself was not an anti-Semite. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he couldn't have been drawing uh, from popular anti-Semitic tropes in the culture in his characters, characterization of the Grinch. Yeah. Um, and like racists can make, symbols that are like secular into a hate symbol like it's not it doesn't matter what the intention is when you make it like pepe the frog wasn't racist when the first person ever drew it right and then the alt-right uh co-opted it yeah so it i'm not gonna take a hard stance on whether or not the grinch is a jew but (laughs) uh (laughs) but a, a lot of people seem to think that um the grinch has some anti-semitic roots okay um i might be crazy i don't i I, i'm like i'm will i'm open to the idea that i'm wrong about that but given that every time tucker uses the word dwarf it seems to be either in relation to a jewish person or at least an arguably jewish caricature yeah (laughs) Um, yeah. It still feels in my head like Tucker's just, like, bumbling into this stuff, but, like, it. there's too many signs, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he loves Pat Buchanan. He's talking about how Pat Buchanan was the smartest guy to ever run for office, and he was pretty anti-Semitic, so... I don't know. Yeah, right? Um... So then Tucker also spent some time in the segment talking about how he thinks the concept of hate crimes are stupid. Um, Because he's like, he he says hate crimes are a political category. That's an argument that I, it stood to me immediately because it's one of those things that I used to believe. I was like, why does the intent necessarily matter? Like in the justice system, you punish the crime, not the person's intent behind the crime. So like if if you kill somebody, you should it, it should be the same punishment no matter what your motivation was. Um, and then it was it was one of those things where it was explained to me that the reason that hate crime laws might be important. Well, it, it's it's twofold. One, 
is that um, say that someone attacks a person for being gay and kills them. Mm-hmm. That is not only an attack on that person, but because they're but because the attack was based on the person's identity, it is is then a threat to the entire identity group. So, like the the, the gay community in that area might then be more afraid to go outside at night or be more concerned that they might face violence. Um, and, and it's a, a form of community repression. It's the same thing. Like if, if you burn a cross in one black person's yard, it's a message to all the black people in that neighborhood. Yeah. And then the other, the other aspect of it too, is that, if a crime isn't motivated by the personal characteristics of a person or I'm sorry, if a crime isn't motivated by like any personal vendetta against the individual, but rather just based on a, an aspect of their identity or an, or an immutable characteristic, then the perpetrator of that crime is arguably more, more dangerous than someone who kills somebody because hey, that you had sex with my wife or something like, yeah. then you're probably not going to kill anybody else who didn't have sex with your wife. But if you're going to attack people on the basis of their race, you might attack anyone of that race. Yeah. Yeah. So given that, like there are reasons to have hate crime provisions in place that Tucker doesn't seem to appreciate. (laughs) Yeah. That's not something I even, uh, thought about before i I usually just thought well we have politically protected classes so if you commit a crime against a politically protected class that's a hate crime but but yeah i'm glad that you said that because and then speaking of uh bias against a class of people tucker wants to explain why this is why these christmas trees are really being burned and this is upsetting war on christmas Our streets are dangerous, much more dangerous than they've been in a long time, in decades. There are a lot of reasons for that, but one reason is our cities are overrun with mentally unstable vagrants who are living on the sidewalks. Now, for a long time, we've called these people homeless, but let's stop doing that. The homeless is a political term which is intentionally devised to mislead you. In fact, this problem has very little to do with homes or available housing or whatever Orwellian phrase they're using at this point to pretend these people have no place to stay. A lot of them could be staying indoors. They don't want to because they're addicted to drugs. It's that simple. America has a massive drug crisis now in progress. The rest of us have been trained to ignore it or deny it. But it's absolutely real. And if you live in a city, you cannot pretend it isn't. Okay, Tucker doesn't understand the word Orwellian. Yeah, I, I'm i really used to hearing the word Orwellian thrown around willy-nilly, and that's still a pretty egregious use. That Yeah. The, the, phrase, the phrase housing availability is somehow Orwellian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't... That's impressively strange. Um... I I hate to ask the same question over and over again, but what is your solution to the drug crisis, Tucker? <laughs> yeah. How do you yeah, propose we fix that? Because he sure doesn't like overdose mitigation availability or, I mean, we remember how mad he was about the booty bumping kids. Yeah. Um, 
he's certainly not in favor of safe injection sites or decriminalization nope. or any of the things that that are proven to help with drug problems <laughs> yeah. in material reality. And we've made our stance on this clear, which is that if you're not going to give them houses, leave them the fuck alone. Yeah. Um, but it's he, he it's really frustrating. He talks about how dangerous all these homeless people make our streets when like the homeless are victims of violence and abuse a lot all the time. In 2016, there were 83 anti-homeless attacks and 37 of the victims were killed. In 2017, there were another 29 anti-homeless attacks and 11 victims lost their lives. The study only accounts for a fraction of crimes and deaths against the homeless. The same study estimates the true number of deaths on the street is closer to 13,000 annually. Uh, That's from a study by the National Homeless Coalition. If, If you want to get more granular... But the harassment the homeless might, might encounter, more than one in three people experiencing homelessness have been deliberately hit, kicked, or experienced some other form of violence while homeless. 34% have had things thrown at them. 9% have been urinated on while homeless. 48% have been intimidated or threatened with violence while homeless. 59% have been verbally abused or harassed. Harassment is just the tip of the iceberg. Abuse can be increasingly physical with damaging results. In, in the worst cases, assault, assaults against the homeless lead to casualties. In one particular example, a serial victimizer named John D. Guerrero from San Diego, California, was charged after killing or wounding a dozen homeless people. Jesus Christ. Yep. Guerrero's acts against the homeless included driving railroad spikes into his victims and setting two of them on fire. What the fuck? He, and he did this 12 times? Yep. City-specific sh- statistics show the number of crimes against the homeless that lead to death may be on the rise as well. Specifically, in Los Angeles, the number, the number of homeless people that were murdered rose from 40 to 42 from 2018 to 2019. Not every attack on the homeless leads to death, but violence can still be gruesome. For example, in 2018, a 35-year-old man and a 42-year-old woman were doused in battery acid as they slept in the Mission Hills Park in California. Both victims were taken to the hospital to treat their chemical burns. Over the last 18 years, 1,769 reported acts of violence have been committed against homeless individuals, though the actual number is much le- is likely much higher, as these this is a category of people often less likely to report those kinds of attacks um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. Um, While sexual assault statistics affect the entire homeless population, data shows that women and youth are particularly susceptible to sexual assault while living on the streets. Research by the National Sexual Violence Resource Center shows while 1 to 3% of the general youth population reports sexual assault, 21 to 42% of youth homeless have reported sexual assault. One in three teens are lured into prostitution within 48 hours of living on the street. One in three homeless youth engage in survival sex. The experience of violence in the lives of homeless women, a research report, showed that 78.3% of homeless women in the study have been subjected to rape, physical assault, or stalking. Of victimized respondents, 55.9% have been raped, 72.2% have been physically assaulted, 25.4% have been subjected to stalking. 
Those who experience sexual assault while homeless also lack access to legal, medical, and mental health services, which can worsen the post-traumatic effects of an assault. And then, of course, there's law enforcement brutality. In 2019, the California Policy Lab at UCLA used more than 60,000 records from across the country to show how, how often unsheltered homeless populations are in contact with law enforcement. The results showed that, on average, a homeless person has more than 20 contacts with police in a six-month period. In 2016, San Antonio officer Matthew Luckhurst found a dog poop, bread, in a container on the ground, put it, put it in together, and, ser- and served it to a homeless man as a joke. Though Luckhurst was initially fired, he won an appeal in 2019 for reinstatement and is currently fighting to overturn a second suspension. Negative encounters with law enforcement make homeless victims reluctant to report crimes against them, skewing the data that we have available. So, oh, and of course, there's uh, the exploitation of the homeless population for profit, which has become highlighted in recent media after the DVD video series called Bum Fights went viral in 2002. In the videos, homeless victims were rewarded with money, alcohol, or other incentives if they fought each other or conducted other foul acts, like drinking urine or banging their head through glass windows. The filmmakers behind Bum Fights were sued by activists and the homeless men featured in the video. As part of the settlement, the filmmakers agreed not not to produce any more Bum Fight videos or distribute videos already made. They also paid the three homeless men a settlement. So the the point here is that being being homeless makes you much more vulnerable to violence and exploitation. And for Tucker to say that all these homeless people are the reason our streets are unsafe is fucking backwards. Yeah. I was just thinking I need to add this to the list of things that are worse than I thought they were. <laughs> yep. Everything is awesome. Everything so- is awful. <laughs> So then Tucker, uh, he plays a clip of Andrew Yang from a, um, one of the New York mayoral debates where, oh, Ye- okay. where Yang, um, he's talking about the homeless problem and how we need to get these mentally ill people off the street. And he tells a story about how somebody in like a, a, a mother's group that his mom is part of was uh, punched by a homeless man on the street. And so this, this is Tucker following that video. I really wish Yang had more than one idea that I agreed with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fucking Yang. Yang Yang. <laughs> so here you have an innocent mother punched in the face on the street. Now you'd think the Violence Against Women Caucus might have something to say about this, but no. Instead, they attacked Andrew Yang for noting it. Andrew Yang's comments about mental illness are deeply offensive, barked Teen Vogue, which is an even stupider version of the New York Times. Democratic mayoral candidate Maya Willie denounced Yang's description of violent crime as, quote, deeply disturbing, deeply lacking in compassion. Unmentioned was the woman who got punched in the face by the lunatic. No compassion for her. Violence against women doesn't count when it's the homeless committing it. In the end, Andrew Yang lost the mayor's race, but the mentally ill drug addicts who punch women in the face are still there. They're still roaming Midtown. They're a protected class. According to the Washington Post, these people must now be referred to as unhoused individuals or people experiencing homelessness. In other words, 
They have a right to live in tents across from your house, shooting heroin with their pants down as you walk your kids to school. They really think that. When the city of Washington, D.C. moved an encampment of junkies recently, one city councilman described this as, quote, an eviction. In other words, your streets belong to them. Now, these aren't just misguided attitudes. They are suicidal attitudes. Any society that gives drug addicts preference over homeowners will not last long. In the meantime, people die. People die who don't deserve to die. In Florida the other day, a vagrant murdered a 14-year-old boy who was out riding his bike. Police say the killer is called Semi Lee Williams. He had felony arrests in Georgia and California, including charges for aggravated assault and battery. Why was he in jail? Well, because authorities in Georgia and California let him go. So he went to Florida and murdered a child. He appears to be a homeless drifter spending most of his time in the streets of Miami. The incident itself appears to be a completely random act. We do not have a motive in this case. It appears to be an absolute chance encounter between a child on a bicycle and uh, an animal that probably should not be out on our streets. It appears to be a random act. Well, you do wonder about that. But he called him an animal that probably should not be out on our streets. And that is absolutely true. Saying that out loud will not return this boy to his parents. He is dead. But saying it out loud is a start. You cannot solve problems until you resolve to stop lying about them, which we should do. So once again, I don't trust Tucker to present me with the truth. Uh, So... I will ha- I will wait until you explain to me what actually happens. But um, one thing I did want to say is if you don't give someone a place to live, then the street is their home. And I think an eviction is an apt word to describe kicking homeless people out of you know, wherever they're staying. Yeah, um, I wanted to flag another little trick that Tucker did there when he when he said uh, he, he repeated the quote about it being a random attack and then said, well, you do wonder about that. That's a nod to the part of his audience that is really hungry for the existence of anti-white racial violence. Uh, implying with a no evidence that this kid was attacked because he was white. Okay. All right. Um, Apparently I'm still really bad at catching that. <laughs> No, it's it, I'm just I'm very attuned to how they talk at this point. So. <laughs> um, but like, do you remember when we were listening to that Mike Enoch speech? And so much of it was dedicated to complaining about the left fabricating this like false specter of anti-white or or this false specter of white supremacist terrorism. Yes, and they, and they had to like pretend that all these incidences were white supremacist motivated. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they're doing with this shit in the Waukesha massacre. Um, it's taking a essentially race neutral event that happened and saying this is an anti-white racial attack. So yeah. they're doing exactly what they accuse their enemies of doing as usual. Yeah, that, that seems to be like the modus operandi of the right is to yell that the left is doing what they're doing. <laughs> and then moving into the last leg on Wednesday here. Our friend Jason Whitlock, the uh, the Alphabet Mafia guy, he's released a new video Tucker is excited about. 
So our friend Jason Whitlock, honestly not to show favoritism, but one of our favorites, out with a brand new commercial promoting the wonders of diversity, equity, and inclusion, die. <laughs> it's hilarious, but also pretty deep. We'll show it to you in just a minute. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is D-E-I. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. You can't even switch the order to... <laughs> your false narrative yeah the the die thing was a joke that we like made on his last appearance on tucker and um apparently the joke was so good they had to make a video about it oh god so but before they get to that tucker tucker has to plug his ornament again this show does support christmas trees we don't burn them we decorate them we have a brand new 2021 christmas ornament don't fauci my christmas don't let him fauci your christmas by the way you can get one at tuckercarlson.com right now. What does that mean? He keeps saying it. He keeps saying it like it means something. <laughs> like if if there's a if there's some obvious pun we're missing, please let us know. Because I've yeah. thought long and hard about don't fouch you my Christmas. Yeah, I don't Twitter get it. Or email or whatever. <laughs> um so here's Jason Whitlock's die video. Dr. Van Joan is the director of diversity, inclusion, and equity, die, at the so-called Alphabet Mafia. He's out with a new sales pitch describing everything diversity experts can offer this country. Here's his pitch. We're a for-profit coalition of organizations funded by George Soros. We're Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ, and critical race theory, all rolled into one. We burn and loot cities. We redefine marriage. And we're also in the process of redefining and expanding gender identities. Do you have a violent criminal history? Maybe you've done time in prison for pedophilia, rape, maybe even some domestic violence. And you can't find the right job in corporate America? No problem. At DIE, you're a perfect candidate to loot, burn, and terrorize black communities. You could be the next Joseph Rodenbaum. So don't miss your chance to kill America. Call us right now. Just to be clear, that's a parody. It's getting very hard to tell at this point. Was that a parody? <laughs> yeah, Hold I... on. Hold on. That's a really interesting thing to say, Tucker. If this is a parody, this is a parody of the right wing making a big deal out of nothing yeah this this is a parody of their misrepresentation of people's arguments like the the ridiculous boogeyman that they're making out of misconstruing and straw manning diversity equity inclusion they're then like oh that's so ridiculous the things that we say they're saying let's parody those things god conservatives are such losers they have no idea like i'm not that good at like comedy i don't like study comedy or anything but like that just like doesn't that's just so fundamentally misunderstanding how a joke works yeah it's it's a very poor grasp on satire yeah like they're (laughs) like they 
they're so used to just saying, oh, all of my bad ideas are actually satire that they forgot to like make it satire first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, yeah. And then Jason Whitlock is here to talk about that video. This is one of Tucker's favorite guests, apparently. Okay. Jason Whitlock and his team at The Blaze put that video together. Jason Whitlock is the host of Fearless, of course, and our friend. He joins us now. Uh, that was hilarious. Um, <laughs> tell us what you hope to illustrate with that video. Tucker, it, it segues perfectly with your opening monologue. Look, there is a coalition that has been built of criminals, the mentally unstable, and just bitter people who were being used and funded to short America, to sell out America. The global elites are using these people to promote anarchy in this country and to destroy this country. They want our Constitution rewritten. They want to frame America as a massive failure. And they're using race to cover, to smokescreen their real agenda. They're saying We're just here to promote diversity, inclusion, and equity, a more just society. When their real agenda, by supporting these criminals, the mentally unstable, and letting all this anarchy and chaos go on, is to define America as a failure. We need a new constitution. We need a new Bill of Rights. We must throw out everything that made America great. And 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 redo it. And we're we're smarter than the founding fathers. And we're going to put something in place: Marxism, communism, socialism. And it's going to be better than anything America has ever experienced before. It's it's a brilliant plan. It's an evil plan. It's a satanic. It's a, it's a very secular plan. And and you know, I'm trying to use humor. We're trying to use humor to point it out, and and to. Let people know these people that are trying to kill America, they're crazy. They seem to be particularly hostile to Christianity, not just in this country, but countries with big Christian populations in Eastern Europe, for example, are always their targets. What do you think that's about? Well, I, I, you can't legalize and normalize every human desire without removing God. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, you believe you're flawed and that Jesus died for your sins. And you believe that by embracing Christianity, you can start to tame your unhealthy desires, things that don't lead to success, things that don't promote good things for you and society as a whole. You got to remove the Christianity in order for people to just give in and normalize whatever desire you have. If you want to marry a cat, if you think you're you were you were born a biological man, but you're really a woman. If you think you're a dog, it, it whatever your desire, they want to normalize. It's a do what thou wilt. It's a satanic philosophy. You have to remove Christianity to impose and install that. It, it's classic Marxism. Karl Marx is yeah. just sitting around applauding the work that's being done right here in this country. The great Jason Whitlock, one of the clearest thinkers there is. Great to see you tonight. Congrats on that video. Thank you, Tucker. I challenge you okay. to find There's any. There's a lot in there, but um, yeah. Like I, I challenge you to show me where. Me to find what? I challenge you to show me where in any of Karl Marx's work he made reference to trans identities. <laughs> 
like any value judgments aside, this has nothing, no relation to Marxism. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that kind of connects to um, what I wanted to say. Um, we are smarter than the founding fathers. Yeah, like the founding fathers still weren't sure if washing your hands before surgery was a good idea. Most of them owned slaves. Um, and as a country, we have agreed uh, 27 times, I, I googled it, that um, their assessment of how the country should be run was insufficient because we've amended the Constitution 27 times. So them coming up here and pretending that we don't know better than than the founding fathers is ridiculous and like they know it and then when tucker says uh that they always target countries like in eastern europe with large christian populations i think he's talking about hungary which we all know how he feels about interesting that tucker thinks the same people behind this diversity equity and inclusion agenda are also the same people targeting Eastern European countries with large Christian populations. It's just a fun little wrinkle. And then the fact that in their mind, freedom is Satanism stuck <laughs> yeah. out to me a little bit. Yeah. Now, I I uh, am not a religious person, but correct me if I'm wrong. Catholicism is basically do whatever you want and then ask for forgiveness and then you're good. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, so um, I don't see how that's super different from you should be allowed to do what you want as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's it's not fucking hard. Like, n- nobody wants to marry their cat. No. I, I mean, I'm sure you could find somebody who does. But... Statistically, that someone exists, but it's not a, that doesn't make it a systemic problem. Yeah, so then we we've, we've got one more narrative here. So he's about to invite on Glenn Beck to talk about the story that I'm, I'm not going to have any, I don't have any Glenn Beck's appearance here because we're going to talk about the, this in a bit more depth next week, but I'll just, uh, I'll knock down something from the teaser quick. So the U.S. government, here's a plot twist, is now saying it co-owns part of Moderna's coronavirus vaccine, a product it is also mandating. Huh. Our team has looked into this. So is Glenn Beck. He joins us next. What? Yes. So uh, the U.S. government co-owns the coronavirus vaccine. um, But only one of the four of them. The the Moderna vaccine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So it's a conspiracy now. Yeah. So what, what Tucker is talking about here is actually a patent dispute between Moderna and the National Institute of Health. So what's going on? Essentially, the dispute is over not the coronavirus vaccine entirely, but a component in the vaccine, um, an mRNA sequence that creates spike proteins that generate an immune response. Um, So the the development of this protein um, began five years ago in like there there was a, a data sharing agreement. Um, with the government and Moderna it, researching um, technologies to create vaccines for, at, at the time, they were mainly focused on MERS, but, uh, but other coronaviruses as well. This mRNA component 
is now the subject of a dispute between who, uh, an ownership dispute or a patent dispute between the two entities. So the, the government, the National Institutes of Health, says that three of its scientists at the Vaccine Research Center, Dr. John Mascola, uh, Dr. Barney Graham and Dr. Kizmikia Corbett worked with Moderna scientists to design the genetic sequence that promised the vaccine to produce an immune response and should be named on the principal patent application. Moderna, however, disagrees. In a July filing with the, with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, Moderna said that it had, quote, reached the good faith determination that these individuals did not co-invent the component in question. Its application for the patent, which has not yet been issued, names several of its own employees as the sold inventors. The NIH has been in talks with Moderna for more than a year to try and resolve the dispute. The company's July filing caught the agency by surprise, according to a government official familiar with the matter. It is unclear when the patent office will act, but its role is simply to determine whether or not a patent is warranted. If the two sides do not come to terms for the time a patent is issued, the government will have to decide whether whether or not to go to court. Um, so the, the the short of it is that the the government is saying three of our scientists helped design this component and should be included on the patent, um, and Moderna is saying no, it was only our scientists that designed this, and the patent is ours. And um, the the dispute here is more; it's about more than just accolades. So. If these three government scientists are named on the patent along with the Moderna employees, then that would give the federal government a, a say in which companies can manufacture the vaccine, which in turn could influence which countries get access. Essentially, if the government has a right to this patent, then that makes it easier to um, sh- share the vaccine with other manufacturers or the, the vaccine formula. And... Um, ultimately to get more vaccine supply available in um, developing countries where supply is still in in high demand. There's been criticism at this point of Moderna failing to make the vaccine available in in poorer countries. And um, Mm -hmm. essentially, if they solely have, if they, if they're the sole owners of the patent, then they have control and they don't have to share this component of the vaccine with any other potential manufacturer which inhibits supply okay so moderna wants the rights to the vaccine so that they can let poor people die yeah because what i'm getting from this yeah because they uh like moderna they received 10 billion in funding to develop the vaccine and it's already lined up supply deals worth 35 billion through the end of 2022 so they're making a ton of money on this vaccine and they don't want anybody else um, to have a slice of that pie at the cost of, you know, potentially millions of lives. Yeah, man, it sure does seem like money makes everything worse. Yeah, it, it kind of seems like profit motivated <laughs> medicine is a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, maybe someone should fix that. Yeah, so um, it, when, when Tucker says that the government co-owns the vaccine they're mandating, th- this is what he's talking about. It's just this patent dispute. Um, and the government saying that their scientists should be included on the patent. Yeah, and he's trying to make this about mandates, but like the mandate isn't the Moderna vaccine. Right. Also, there isn't a mandate in the first place. Didn't it get knocked down? 
Right. Yeah. Um, it, currently, there are no federal mandates. I believe that there is a. Um, well, so Bill de Blasio is trying for a mandate in New York City, but given that he only has a couple more days in office, that's unlikely. Also, uh, the vaccine is free. He's pretending that this is like a money thing. Like they're yeah. they're mandating that you get this vaccine so they can make money from you. The vaccine is free. Yeah. They're not making money from you. And then what does he think happens? The, the government's just like, oh, shit. Some of these people are getting the Pfizer one, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other free one. <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah, it's 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 very dumb. Tucker's interpretation of the story is just very very dumb. Yeah, um, he's probably gonna make it like a five G microchip thing, but and then he does bring on Glenn Beck for that story, and Glenn has some more details in the matter that we're gonna talk about a bit next week. Okay. Um. So then to close with Tucker. <laughs> Um, so Tucker has a, uh, about a five minute segment where he talks about this camel beauty pageant in the UAE. Oh yeah. We (laughs) did talk about that, didn't we? So as far as we can tell, Congressman Eric Swallow dearly loves two things, having unnatural sex with Chinese spies and riding camels in the Middle East with no shirt on. So we've got some news for Congressman Swalwell tonight. The Super Bowl of camels is currently underway in the United Arab Emirates. This is Al Dafra Festival. It's the Super Bowl of camel pageantry. Each December, 25,000 camels descend on this remote area of the UAE's western region. Their owners come here from across the Gulf, each with the hope their camels will be crowned most beautiful. Like beauty contestants, winning camels attract huge fan bases. Some camels have their own hashtags on Instagram, and fans will even write poems about their beauty. Famous camels also attract many high cash offers. So you may not think camels are beautiful, but a lot of people in the region do. The problem is not all camels are beautiful. So some of them get plastic surgery. Now, right across the border in Saudi Arabia, there's a camel beauty pageant underway right now, and a number of camels have been caught getting Botox and touch-ups. Is this appropriate for the dromedary community? Is it ethical to give your camel plastic surgery? We've gone right to the source on this. Forrest Galante is a wildlife biologist. He joins us tonight. Forrest, thanks so much for coming on. So let's say you have a camel through no fault of his own who's just unusually unattractive, and you think, I'm going (laughs) to fix this with a lip tuck or an ear pin, sure. they can't give consent. Should that be allowed? Well, Tucker, you could ask the same question about your dog at home, right? Your yeah. dogs get cropped tails, they get their ears pinned, and that's not Fair. making news. So Fair. it's basically Fair. the same thing. It's, it's a pet that you're altering. You know, you make a really wise and common sense point that I'm ashamed to say never occurred to me. Now, How unattractive, because I think from the Western perspective, camels all kind of look the same. Do you see a wide variety in camel aesthetics? Oh, absolutely. It's, again, going back to the pet analogy. It's just like your dog at home. Some people have beautiful dogs, show-quality dogs. Others are less fortunate, you know. Here's the thing, Tucker. I live in Southern California, so I've seen 
uh, you know, humps that have been enlarged and lips that have been blown up basically every day where I live. So it's not the most unnatural thing in the world over here. And now we're, we're pointing it out as being a problem over there on camels. And it's, it's kind of a little double edged there. Uh, that is such a smart point. Don't tell me they're getting hump implants in Saudi Arabia, though. Oh, uh, well, you know, different, different kinds of humps, but that is a thing that they're doing for their camels over there. They are doing Botox fillers on the lips. They're stretching things. They're inflating the humps. Um, they're doing all kinds of different plastic surgeries to try and enhance the beauty and the aesthetic of these camels. Cause the prize money is huge, by the way, millions and millions of dollars. Can they really quick? I don't have a ton of camel experience, but some horrible <laughs> personalities on a camel, nastiest animal God created. Can they, can they fix that? <laughs> No, uh, you know, that they are typically jerks. They really are. You're not yeah. wrong about that. But every now and then you get a sweetheart. And if you ask me, they're all beautiful. If you if you draw the short end of the stick and you get an ugly camel, love it for its personality. Forrest Glancy really sorting out one of the naughtiest problems <laughs> in the Middle East tonight. We appreciate your coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tucker. So, I think I really like Forrest Glancy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm a little confused. It's like, well, we already do animal abuse here, so animal abuse over there has to be fine by... Fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, it, it made me uncomfortable when you said that they're stretching things. What what things on a camel are being stretched? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like, I, I, was, I was worried that it was going to become, like, a big racism thing. Um, and he didn't go down that road. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, he, I, I feel like he almost did because he was like, it, I mean, here in the West, we think all camels look the same. But <laughs> yeah, uh, but kind of pulled up on that one. Um, so I, I just wanted to keep with our tradition of ending an episode on an animal related segment. <laughs> <laughs> so that was from Thursday's show. Thursday, they talk a lot about the Jesse Smollett verdict, um, a bit more about Ukraine stuff. And then um, a, a running theme throughout the show is that they have sold out of the Fauci Christmas ornaments. But Tucker assures assures us that they're going to have more. Oh, and, thank God. And don't worry, they're being made by Americans. They're <laughs> produced domestically. Um, and so this is his closer. Well, as we told you, we've got our American manufacturing team working overtime for Fauci ornaments. They're still available at TuckerCarlson.com. We'll be back 8 p.m. The show that's the sworn enemy of lying, pomposity, smugness, and groupthink, and still agnostic on camel enhancement. Have a great evening. The great Sean Hannity starts. I think that that's a lot. Lying, pomposity, and something, something camel uh, enhancement. What? <laughs> Still agnostic on camel enhancement, which I got to say, I think is an attack on my religion. <laughs> it's definitely an attack on my religion. It's all a hate crime, Tucker. A cab. All camels are beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, so that th th that's all we got for this week. I just I wanted to document some of the weird stuff like Tucker ramping up more of the... Um, the sales pitches and the increasing prevalence of anti-Semitic dog whistles. Um, All that fun stuff. Yeah. 
Yep. So, uh, we will next week be talking about Glendale Beckham. Glendale Beckham. Okay. (laughs) His real name. Don't look it up. And hopefully the, that the Tucker source documentary won't drop this week because I want to have, like, I I, want to have Glenn Beck out before Soros because uh, Glenn Beck and I believe 2009, 2010, did a big two-part segment on his Fox show about Soros that a lot of this stuff has roots in. Um, oh, God, they just, they've been doing it for so long. Yeah. I didn't realize. So um, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. In the meantime, Tyler, what is our sworn enemy? How about um, the Orwellian concept of assessing available housing? <laughs> Orwellian. <laughs> this, we are the sworn enemy of housing availability. <laughs> also, uh, I'm thinking we missed a patron. Um, there was Mr. Steve McPhail. So um, uh, let me. It's six six dollars. Is uh, is six dollars just asking questions? I think I think just asking questions is three. I think, I think six right. is no twelve is elite. Six is lying smug pompous group thinker. Okay, Steve McPhail, you are a, a lying smug pompous group thinker, and thank you so much for supporting the show. <laughs> yeah, why why didn't that show up uh, on my list? Anyway, thank you to all of our lovely patrons. All right, and we will be back next week. In the meantime, we've got a website. It is checkitoutpod.com. We're on Twitter at TuckerDotPod. You can find a Facebook group at Wokeristas. Um, we talked about Patreon already, but we have a Patreon if you want to support us financially. We appreciate it. And you can email the show, TuckerDotPod at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Buck up. It's going to get better. <laughs>